this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. It is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we jump in, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at the Hop Nerd, except for Twitter, because it is super duper special. It is the Hop Nerd One. Send me an email to sam at thehopnerd.com or thehopnerd at gmail.com. Use that handy dandy cell phone number. Shoot me a text. Leave me a voicemail. All that kind. Uh, fun stuff. Uh, use it to call into the live shows that we're doing every Wednesday. That is Wednesday at 5 p.m. and Fridays at 8 p.m. You can call in, get on the air live with the Hop Nerd Live Show, uh, or you can leave us a voicemail and we can respond to your questions that you leave in that voicemail on the live show. Either way, it's pretty super duper cool. So this one is awesome because we've got to get to where we had the opportunity to have two past guests on at the same time, both of which were absolutely amazing in their solo interviews, both of which went super duper long. So both of those were two episodes per person. And so you can imagine that this one went super duper long. So I'm going to tell you that this is going to be a two parter as well. So this is part one of part two with Nate Brayman. Hashtag Redbeard and Ian Allison. It is phenomenal. Um, we just kind of got together and started talking all things hop and leadership and all kinds of cool stuff. We didn't go into this thing with, with, a, with a real plan. We didn't go into this thing with a real topic. We just kind of let it take us wherever it kind of wanted to. And we sat around and talked till like midnight. So here you go. Part one, Nate Brayman, Ian Allison, and the hop nerd, and you hanging out talking a little bit of everything obvious outcome the 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 payoff is pretty evident you're like well somebody got hurt and you can it's very visible in other parts of the business sometimes it's very uh difficult to quantify some of those impacts Mm -hmm. because you i mean just like in safety you could potentially condition someone to think like well that drift i got away with nobody noticed or they don't notice themselves and it got handled downstream, and so they assume, like, oh, there is no deviation. Um, we have that same process in just any any organization. But, uh, you know, a good example is you develop a poor job scope from the – from a, you develop a poor design or there's a miscommunication between design and generating your bill of materials. Bill of materials gets down to the, you know, the planner – foreman stage store you know storekeeper in the warehouse and they go through that redline that bill of materials and say no we don't need this we need this we don't need that they never actually communicate that back on up the chain and we just keep doing that over and over but the individual that's pushing off the designs are like well we're continuing to crank out work i'm not getting any feedback so obviously there's no problems and you could insert that with any situation i think when i was talking with sam during the last uh, podcast, I had mentioned that when I started school, my first class was uh, right after I had left safety thinking, 
well, it's time to turn over a new leaf, try something different. My first class was the organizational behavior course, and I had never taken an OB class in my life. And so when I sat there, I'm just like, man, this is like safety from a from a broader lens, yeah, but yeah. it's like all safety principles. And that was kind of what the topic of our last podcast was, was just looking at OB concepts and how they have run parallel with safety and really in tandem in some cases, but really that aha moment I had where it's just like, this is larger than just hop. It's larger than just pinholing into one department right. in your organization. Hmm. I agree. And there was a, it's a case study we ran through. Yeah. Um, it's like an old nurse case study of just like uh, an individual. It's supposed to be an individual like taking on a new leadership job and trying to understand the challenges that you would get. And when you have a disgruntled workforce and you come into an organization where there's latent organizational weaknesses and complaints and concerns fall on deaf ears and that new leader comes in trying to address those. And as a student, you're supposed to read this case study and dissect what are the proper organizational behavior concepts that should be applied to communicate effectively that you want to earn their trust but also you mean business and you actually want to progress the ball forward right. one of the things very first recommendations that came up from uh some of our classmates was basically a learning team of like just get them together sit them down in yeah. a room and just let them you know let them air out their business right. you know let, let them talk about what frustrates them let them talk about their pain points and then let them also talk about the solutions and it was so funny to hear like non-safety professionals in the room acknowledge the fact that, well, they probably know what the solution is best because they're the ones that do the work. And I'm just like, man, we're talking about a bunch of nurses here. Yeah. And you can insert any occupation and it's all the same to a certain It's point. amazing how naturally it goes back to that point, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I find when people ask me implementation questions, um, I get a ton of those. And it's like, well, how did you get this started with the reluctant, with a reluctant organization? And my kind of really super non-answer, vague answer, at least is that, is if you kind of sprinkle out some of that stuff and let people start to have that discussion, they'll eventually go to where you want them to go usually. They'll usually land on some of the hot principles at some point. Yeah. I don't think you really have to force a lot of that if you let people kind of come to their own conclusions. I think some of my resistance when we first talked about it, I was pretty resistant when you first brought up learning teams uh, at first because I just had envisioned all of the interactions I had with most most of the time, the people who I had heard the it was unsolicited opinions, and so most right. of the time it came from a jaded perspective or right. because they had been scorned. And so, in my mind, when I heard learning teams, those interactions were the things that came to the forefront. And I'm just like, you want to get a whole room of that? Yeah. Like you really think that that's going to fix things? <laughs> but then once we had talked about it more, and I started to realize, well, if you have an individual who is cognizant of body language, tone, the room, the identity of the room, the culture of the individuals in the room. I think that if they're a responsible facilitator, I think you can really get some great kernels of truth in there. For sure. I think that's a that's a really interesting um, rabbit hole to go down to is just, just talking learning teams and facilitation because um, it's something that I, I come into contact with quite a bit and have this discussion a ton is, well, how do you train – learning team facilitators and again it's super non-answer but you kind of sort of can't you can give them some skills 
but it's really personality based. You have to have the right personality in the room to be able to actually have a pretty good facilitation of a learning team. Um, we think about that, Nate. Think you can train facilitators? Uh, yeah. In fact, you know, this whole idea of leadership, I think we need to challenge that a little bit. Hmm. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, having a good leader. And I don't think that there is that you need to have a designated leader. In fact, um, just, you know, just in my own mind, I'm just, this is the, the stuff I'm chewing on at the moment. They're not complete f- formulated ideas yet, but I don't think, I think it's a, it's an, something that we need to reconsider, uh, the, the old structure, the hierarchy that, that, that has been around for so long where you have a very rigid, you know, like, uh, supervisors and managers and, and, and whatever, because, I've just seen it so many times where you, you end up having a complete bumbling idiot with a, with a job title or, you know, with a fancy job title and they just cause, they just wreck havoc, you know, and leadership and, and you guys were kind of dancing around this already anyway, but I think leader, like ideas lead, not people right. and what a true leader uh, does, what true leadership means is facilitating, which is what you guys just said. So, Facilitating, what does that mean? Well, that means getting behind good ideas and pushing. You know, I have, I have a, kind of an interesting personal story about this. When I was in boot camp in, in the Marine Corps, um, you know, we, we would sleep in these barracks and we'd have racks that were like um, bunk beds, basically, and they're big, heavy metal racks. And there's about 100 of us, um, so about, you know, 50 of these things in, in this big room. And the drill instructors, you know, they they taught us to, um, you know, have them made perfectly. They had to be really tight. They had to had to be exactly like the sheets had to be folded over so many inches, and everything had to be perfect. And um, they all had to match each other. And one of the things that they would do to mess with you is like after you get your racks made perfectly, they go through and just throw the racks over, and like the ground would shake with these huge metal racks hitting the ground, and it was, you know, it was intense. And then they just throw everything into a huge pile, like all our foot lockers, everything would just be a huge pile. And then they'd give us some insane amount of time to turn everything around, clean it up. Mm. And so it became quite a scramble, as you can imagine. And we all had to kind of work together. It was sort of like out of chaos, order started to kind of percolate out. And everyone would start on their own racks. And then the guys who were who were better at um, squaring away their rack, once they got theirs done, they'd go over and help the next guy. And then that that would speed up that process when you had two people working on one and then those two would get done and go over and help someone else that was still stuck on their rack and and so on and so forth and what ended up happening was the eventually it came down to one rack left and we only had like 30 seconds or you know right on the edge of our time and if we go past this time they're going to start all over again and throw all the racks down on the ground and so here here we are um like 100 people <laughs> shouting and pointing and like, Doug, get that corner, pull this thing. And everyone's pulling every direction and it was chaos. And this, we're not going to get it done. You know, I, and I was right front and center, like just looking around me, like, my God, there, you know, there's too many, too many um, chiefs, not enough Indians, as we say. And so too many chefs in the kitchen. And so um, it was interesting because I, I was sitting there like, how, how can I help this situation? Because I, you know, everyone's yelling over each other and everything else saying, do what I say, do what I say, do what I say. And it occurred to me that, you know, I heard one person who seemed to have the best idea. And so what, what I did is I pointed at him and I say, listen to him. 
And because it was such a stark contrast to what everyone else was doing, pretty much everyone just shut up and just and just did it. And we ended up getting the rack uh, made and didn't didn't have to uh, start all over again. Hmm. And so I think that's and it's not that that means I'm the leader or a leader. It just means in that moment, I took that position of the leader by by getting behind a good idea and helping to facilitate that idea. I think that's a little too fluid for corporate integration. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I think individuals would frown at like, well, the cream will rise to the top. Just give it time. Yeah. The individual well, will present themselves when the moment tur- calls Turds also float. That's, <laughs> that's well, true. that's that's the struggle in and around the facilitation of learning teams. Um, as you said, I mean, I, I can think of some that are duds um, simply due to the facilitator that has led them. Right, I, I, there are certain facilitators that I don't know if you could train them a hundred hours of, of facilitation training if they would ever make a great facilitator because it's still a mixture of art. Right, there is still some art to that facilitation of a learning team. But that that goes back to just our kind of a gripe with businesses when they try to programize everything. Like, exactly. Well, yeah. We need to have. We eventually it's going to be like, well, we need to have one facilitator per X amount of employees, and so right. make sure that. And then it just. And then once you go down that rabbit hole, it, once you go down that road, it's very difficult to yeah. make it. Uh, what what it should be is get true, genuine feedback. For sure. Yeah. Exactly. Do you guys have engineers that primarily lead where you guys work? Like in your experience, has it generally been engineer heavy? Um. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you when say? Lead, when you say lead, can you be more specific? Like leading the. Go ahead. Oh, uh, like in the leadership roles. Oh in yeah, the, it's a it's a it's yeah. a mixture. If you're talking the gen, like the generation side, in my experience, I've seen a lot of engineers be uh, more on the generation side of things. Yeah. 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 The, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that classified. Most of our organizations is classified as companies of engineers, right? That's usually how we're yeah. how we're defined. Yeah. Yeah, they they typically, you know, engineers tend to be, you know, lower on the emotional intelligence side, on the social IQ, tend to be a little Mm. bit lopsided low, right? And they tend to be higher in the mathematics. And so, you know, engineers typically uh, try to program, make programs without really considering and or understanding the human element. And so that's like... You know, it's just like they write the program like it's some formula that they're typing into a computer, and they expect people to robotically follow this formula. Right. You know. Yeah, and it's I think that's where you do see a lot of that manifest of this whole discussion of well, just just follow the rules, just work within the system, everything will be fine, huh? Exactly. Yeah. If you if you just do this perfectly, right, like right. a robot would. <laughs> well, I, I think I think you, that's probably where some of that discussion manifests from. I mean, I think you do see that quite a bit, um, not just within our types of organizations, but but a little bit of everywhere. Um, but to certain folks, I mean, and again, you as you kind of move higher in the organization, you start to lose kind of um, real clarity of what's going on deeper in the organization. Uh, but everything starts to seem very black or white. Probably no matter what your what your background is in, engineers might be a little more guilty of that than others. Um, but it seems very black or white. The higher you go in the organization, saying, "Well, if you just did A, but you did B, so that's why we have outcome C." I agree. I think yep. it's it's real hard to get that to keep keep that pulse. The higher you go in the hierarchy, but that's where that trust mm-hmm. really needs to be instilled. We talk a lot about um, in our supply chain class, you know, the bullwhip effect when you have 
like different stages of a supply chain where the demand is coming from one end you know the demand's coming from somewhere and uh individuals like you get a demand of 10 from the customer and then the supplier's like oh we got 10 we better order more and then the manufacturer's like oh my gosh we better order you know twice that you know and then it goes up and then you end up getting this kind of giant bullwhip because individuals are they're not communicating effectively like what you really need they're assuming based on what the information they're told and we definitely get that kind of bullwhip effective information where an executive is casually asking is the employee okay is the scene safe (laughs) and then it goes down to the front line and the site safety guy site plant manager they're losing their freaking mind Mm -hmm. and because the message has been it changed so many hands from the time it was uh, given by the executive to that time I finally got there, and it's uh, really right. it's way different. And I think it's just a, that trust of people of like, okay, uh, they'll tell me when I need to know or when they know something. I really think right. that there's a lot to be said for that. I think yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's a mixture there because I um, um, I don't know exactly what you call it. I've heard it a hundred times, but where you had that executive that walks into a, a room that's white and says, "This would look better blue," and just a day later, the room's painted blue, right? And the executive's yeah. going, "Why the hell is the wall blue? Right. Why did you paint the wall?" <laughs> right? So yeah. I think sometimes people in those in those levels of, of power or position don't quite understand how visible they actually are. Um, I've seen that quite a bit, um, where they don't realize how uh, how watched they actually are and how visible they actually yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Self awareness, exactly, and they they don't realize that uh, every action, every word has meaning down through the organization. Uh, and for sure, it is like a big game of telephone sometimes, and things get added to and and kind of kind of lo- a little bit bigger than than what it was meant to be, uh, and then the next thing you know, it's that right. And then sometimes it is yeah. just that from the source. Uh, I've definitely seen that too, especially we were, we were kind of talking post event um, where it's I want answers now, and then if you have a vice president asking some dumb question, it's like why are they wearing safety glasses? You know, then, right. then it just gets worse, right? Yeah. Is that in our procedure? So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so how do you how do you build that trust? Like how 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 should an executive build and maintain that trust? What do you think? I think starting with reaction is super important. I think that's that's right. that's the kind of the piece that we're talking on. I don't think that's by accident that that as we were talking about that that that's kind of the first place you went was kind of post event reaction. Um, really, reaction to to anything that's not good, we have to build an organization in which we welcome the bad news. Like we have to welcome that with open arms if we want to truly be learning organizations. And that starts with those executives and to how they react around those things. And I think you get to the point to where it's almost, um, again, with a certain type of personalities that we deal with in those, those positions. Um, I don't want to sound really bad when I say this, but you almost give them scripted questions to ask. I don't think that's necessarily a bad, bad thing, at least at first to push them away from kind of their normal um, response of, hey, is it recordable? Hey, when can we get back online? Hey, 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 this, this, and that. Well, we I th- push I think, them down the other I think path. Maybe a, from the safety practitioner like theory side, I think that sounds good, but it's like how do you even have that initial conversation of, so far, you know, you've been a great executive up to this point. Appreciate your leadership. <laughs> However, I feel like you're doing your reactions are a little misguided. And yeah. then you start well, that. Obviously, whatever words you choose don't really sound right. You're basically telling an executive who's you know has taken their career and dedicated it to a company 
and uh, you're telling them like, hey, your approach has been just a little off the entire well, time. Well, yeah. their, their behavior, I mean, their question's coming from somewhere too, right? Well, the reason why they're exactly. asking why it's recordable is because usually there's a massive financial incentive behind it being recordable. Yes. So I think you probably yes. target that first, and then it changes that question, right? That's exactly <laughs> that's what I was going to say. And you kind of go down that path because um, they're still people. I mean, I think that's where we probably have to start, and I'm guilty of that. We probably all are. As we kind of look at those folks and kind of coach upwards in organizations, um, we forget that 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 uh, context drives their behavior just as well, right? Yes. And we have to get back to that understanding. I, th- I think that's, that's probably exactly. super important. And I, you know, there's we could probably tear those apart question by question, um, but the is it recordable first question that's the one that's nice and apparent, right? it's nice and obvious that for sure that's that's yeah. <laughs> you take away the money from that, and it's probably going to lose a lot of importance. Exactly. Well, people are consequence driven and executives are no different. And we talk about building up a system, right, to make the right path the easy path. Right. Yeah. And it should be the same way for executives. So, I mean, they're human too. There's no difference for them as far as, you know, they're not like Martians or some from us. I don't know. Some, some maybe. Well, okay. I'll grant (laughs) that. Sometimes I have that question as well. You want, it makes you wonder, but if, you know, here's the thing is that if their consequences are tied to, which is exactly what you just said, Sam, you hit it on the head. You hit the nail on the head when you said, what's the context for their world? You know, if their, if their um, incentives are paid out based on how many recordables they've had, you can't reasonably expect them yeah. to ask any other question hmm. because that's what's driving their behavior. You know, they're, they're just as, as um, they're victimized by the system as well. Sure. Ultimately, you're you're really telling them like don't care about that percentage of your incentive, right? Really, Which really, because just, yeah. not not even like not care about it, but really just like uh, re reimagine to where it's better for the plant, but or better for the site for the company, but you won't see any benefit from it financially. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a tough thing to do. Like I said, until you until you get down and strip that away and and, and pull pull the financial incentive away. Um, it would be easy. Um, it'd be a, an easy say to just go, Hey, you know, I get that that's the incentive, but you probably shouldn't care about that. Just let that, you know, kind of work itself out. Um, but I'm sh- I would hate to imagine the sums of money that we're talking about mm-hmm. at that level. So I, I would just somebody make up some really high imaginary number in your head. And it's probably higher than that <laughs> is what yeah. I would assume. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I would care about that chunk of money. I couldn't sit here and lie and say that I would not care about that chunk of, of money. Um, so if you, uh, any human being, I'm sure would care about that chunk of money. Um, so ultimately, that's going to drive your behavior in some some fashion well, I or think another. You strip away the strip away the monetary benefit mm-hmm. or the money, you know, gaining from uh, the financial side. You just look at if that individual had been groomed at that facility or really any kind of facility where the those incentives are tracked, they most likely have been raised in that environment where OSHA recordables is the measure for right. safety. Right. And so even if you are to them, you have to convince them that, hey, this is not really a measure of success and uh, on top of the financial side of that. Right. But, and I think really that's where the idea needs to be planted in that you need to reconfigure how you're looking at this and kind of just like plant the seed so that way they're kind of sitting there uh, when after you leave and thinking about that of right. like, well, is that really the right thing to be tracking OSHA recordables? Because I was contacted uh, by an individual from another utility who should be remain nameless, but <laughs> they uh, had been 
asking about, hey, do you know another safety guy out there to come help us out? You know, we got an open leadership position. And they were talking about their pain points, um, what they were looking at. And I was thinking, well, great, they're trying to focus on SIFP, PSI events. And it wasn't that. They were like, we got all these strains and sprains. We're trying to reduce our number of strains and sprains we have. And we hired this, you know, top-notch ergonomic team. And we're trying to really tackle those events. I'm like, great, that's uh, that's perfect. But I hope you're not tracking that as an incentive metric. Just kind of cricket. So I think that's what they're doing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's the whole driver for that. If right. It, Right, it's it's the it's the entire argument that you see companies do with with anything, right? We you have a bunch of sprains and strains, or you have a bunch of bunch of trucks hitting stuff, right? Then we start to incentivize trucks not hitting things, and then we have a bunch of trucks with mystery dings that hit a bunch of stuff that we just never hear about, right? So it just never works out well. It it, it really is. It's like well, what do you what do you want your employees to be good at? I know we had heard Conklin come. You know, we 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 uh, were fortunate enough to hear him speak right about a month ago, and. Uh, our organization was asking a lot about like how do we get our uh, our linemen to stop hitting you know stuff with their trucks? How do we get them to reduce the amount of avoidable motor vehicle accidents? And he had a poignant uh, Rip's response. It was, "Well, do you want professional drivers or linemen?" Exactly. And I was just like, "I never thought of it that way." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that really like. Well, go ahead. Well, yeah. Uh, well, it, you know, it, and it goes to you know if we're trying to change that system and, and we look at we would naturally say, well, it has to start at the top because they're the guys that are in control. You know, they're the ones that are at the wheel. But, you know, keep in mind that in some businesses, they're not necessarily at the wheel completely either. Uh, a lot of businesses have other stakeholders, mm-hmm. you know, owners and board uh, board members that they have to answer to. So even if, so just imagine being a safety professional, uh, you know, maybe tucked away under HR or tucked away under facilities or tucked away under operations, and you have an oper- uh, like an operational VP you have to report to, and then that guy reports up to the CEO, and then the CEO has to answer to the board and the stakeholders. Look how many layers there are, mm-hmm. where you know, and and there's always going to be gatekeeping because everyone wants to control information to keep their power. Right. It's just it, it tends to happen. And so, how does that message from safety, when it's buried several layers down, get to the people that are actually at the wheel at the controls? And then, so that's one of the barriers. And then another barrier is that learning is painful. It is it is difficult and painful because you have to look in the mirror. Inevitably, you have to look in the mirror and you have to change yourself. And like Jordan Peterson called it, burning off your dead wood. Yeah. Because what happens is when you learn something new, you have to look back in the mirror and say, you know, that, that, that behavior I had or that thing that I believed or that part of my personality that was based on this old bad information, it has to die. And, and and then and that's and that's painful. It's it's, it's the phoenix archetype. It, yeah. it dies in a fiery death, but then it's reborn into something uh, fresh and new again. And it's a cycle. Uh, the, and it's and it's hard. And then uh, and it gets worse because you know you typically don't get into those positions like as a board member or as an executive or as a CEO until you you know you tell tell your you know more experience and you have more years under your belt till you're older. Hmm. And so what ends up happening is that the human, the human mind, it gets, it gets more crystalline. It's like your, your crystalline intelligence goes up as you get older, but your fluid intelligence goes down. And so we have this, this lag effect uh, where, you know, like, you know, Sam has the Hop Nerd podcast and he's getting these good ideas out there, but it's very difficult to get through to the older generations because they are so crystallized 
um, and learning is painful mm-hmm. and they aren't totally at the helm anyway, you know? And right. so I've almost kind of, you know, one of the things that's going to help us is time is that as time goes forward, as we have safety champions in the safety industry, championing these good ideas um, and, and, and mainly stewarding other younger safety professionals and instilling, planting the seeds in these good ideas. And then it's a matter of time. I think that yeah. that's a big part of what we, has to happen. I think we've all waited. We've all had that moment where we've thought or kind of had that closed door conversation of can't wait till that person retires because we can finally move forward with whatever program. Right. And in safety, right. we've had we've had that because there are those key individuals that are in that right. boardroom on the executive floor that yeah. simply will not let go of the older well, kind of thought yeah. process and, when it comes to safety. And, and there's there's really not a whole lot you can do about no, it. No, and you're and you're always going to have those folks that are way on the other side of that adoption curve, right? Mm-hmm. That have kind of fallen off the other side of it. That, that won't uh, won't ever adopt certain things or move in that direction. And and uh, I've just kind of started to refer to them as dinosaurs, kind of nicely in a mm-hmm. nice manner. But they will, and, and they'll eventually go extinct. Extinct, right? They'll eventually fall off and, and move on and retire and, and do whatever else. But it's unfortunate that uh, that you have to kind of and <clears throat> I think you have to kind of look at those things in, in different perspectives, though, right? Are are they actively rallying against the change? Are, are they truly standing in the way of change? And then you're probably going to have to spend some time working on trying to trying to convert some folks, right? But if if they're not really actively rallying against change and they're not really in the way, they don't really have to be on board. I really don't care if they are, to be honest with you. Um, we can still move forward. Um, at least that's kind of the approach that I've seen taken in, in kind of more impl- more of, yeah. more into the implementation side of hop and, and- is that it's okay. We'll go around you. That's fine. That's fine if we need to go around yeah. you. Um, if you're not actively harming it, if you're not actively pushing against it, then we'll just leave you where you're at and move on and come back to you later. And hopefully exactly. you, you've yielded enough uh, return to the point where you're mm-hmm. like, hey, look, there's proof. We've right. been doing it this way, and, right. and we have it seen better results than what we have, would have if we had just continued to track with the old method. Right. And that's kind of what, in, in my experience, what I've seen is just exactly what you're describing, is eventually you get enough traction behind yeah. the programs, and you get enough talk about how, man, why haven't we had programs like this before? Like, uh, you know, I, I wish I was at a position where... Um, we could kind of go back like 20 years to just see what it was like, to see what the <laughs> right. conversations were like. Cause we hear those employees say like, Oh, it, they, they, how they say like, Oh, you think we should, you think we suck now. You should have seen us 20 years ago when they talk about safety. So it's like, we were like, we were having, you know, serious fatality right. incidents right. every month. It's just like, I want to know what those conversations were like to now, because yeah. while I would love, while I love to say like, Oh, those executives are dinosaurs. They were, they were, they were, came through, they came up in those, sure. in those firefights where it was just like, man, how do we not kill people? And that was like a day to day thing. It yeah. wasn't like a long term, you know, yeah. that wasn't a mission statement. It was just I, like, how do we not kill someone today? Right. And I think it's something that we, yeah. we have to, we have to actively admit too is that, you know, we're, we're still, for, for some of the not so great ideas, there's a lot of great things in traditional safety that we're still 
kind of standing on. Right. So I think there's a lot of foundation that was laid by a lot of that stuff. I like the way that Nate kind of puts it, um, talking about just good ideas. Right. And it's really that. Um, and even back to the implementation side is if you take a hop concept, any hop concept, and you throw it out there and you try it and you use it and you prove it out and you show success with it, good ideas kind of stand on their own merit. Right. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't really have to prove them. You go out, you get them going, you show success. You just have to do it enough to, to kind of make them kind of believe it. <laughs> but I think you do that. And that's how I've seen learning teams kind of kind of be more used lately is just in and around that is that you just kind of show folks that they actually generate some cool stuff I, th- I think there's an overall you know paradigm shift that's taking place and it's exactly what Nate was talking about you just kind of have to wait for that older deadwood to burn off because it's evident it used to we used to have that you know the hammer or the nail kind of culture right. and now we've shifted over to a more trusting uh, trying to shift to a more trusting mm-hmm. workplace, whether it's like unlimited PTO or right. you know whatever, all of these different you know organizational behavior theories of like here's how you keep your workers happy, trusting, committed to your workplace, and it, you know a lot of those parallel into safety, and I think that eventually they'll take hold, but it's going to take some time, and I think unfortunately though when we're looking at it from a safety practitioner side, when there could right. potentially be lives and harm mm-hmm. and qualities of life mm-hmm. at stake. It's it, it's hard to be patient. Yeah, and I think I think something that's really interesting, and and I'd like to hear your take on this, especially Nate, because um, Ian and I are pretty close to each other. We see we see a lot of the same world, you know. Um, but because I've had this conversation, I'm, I'm fortunate enough uh, with doing this whole podcasting thing, I get to talk to a ton of amazing people, um, and several folks I've talked to over the past couple months, and I always ask their this question, especially if they're not in and around hop, if they're not, if if they're, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to sound bad when I say this, but they're kind of your run-of-the-mill safety people, right? That's that's not really in and around HP stuff or HPI or HOP or just general things like that. Um, I always like to ask the HOP question and ask, you know, what what do they see of all the crap that I rant about? Um, and I've heard so much over the past – I get the same answer that over the – about the past two years, we've seen this stuff really start to emerge in construction and in here and in there and in kind of everywhere else. So I don't think that it's just the organizations that, I'm been, that I've been around. It seems like it's really starting to take hold through industry. Yeah, see, here's the thing about that. There's there's something, I, I, I think, <laughs> crystalline intelligence, right? We talk about the deadwood. Mm-hmm. That stuff is still there, and I don't be fooled right. because it's very, very difficult to beat the status quo. Sure. It is very difficult. I mean, we're, we're, look at all the barriers we have to that, and look how difficult it is. And, and you know, the people who get to the point that they are, uh, when they're at a higher point in the in the company, uh, they're very aware of optics. Mm-hmm. It's all about optics, and I'm telling you, it, it is insane. Like I get flabbergasted at how it's all about optics, and I'm like, well, how about actually doing the right things, not just talking about what sounds right and then not doing it at all? Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I've seen, you know, people talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about doing certain things, but then never actually implement anything. And it becomes the facade of human performance, mm. not the actual implementation of it's like, they just want it. They, 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 they stop short of actually doing it. They know it's a hot topic. And so they want to act like they know all about it and they're all over it, but then nothing actually materials happening. So I'm not convinced it is really taking hold because I've seen it in so many different places that it's, it's just the facade Mm -hmm. so far. It goes, it goes back to what we mentioned earlier about how we just try to 
programized everything. Right. And then we are really good at mismanaging programs. You know, we'll yeah. pick and choose the buzzwords and things that fit to yeah. our culture mm-hmm. and how we do things. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, we use trifold cards here, so let's make a hop trifold card. <laughs> And and then we end up, you know, just bastardizing the whole yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, it's real easy to do that. Uh-huh. And it's hard, I think, as a safety practitioner is just to be able to interject in those situations and be like, well, typically where I've seen it be successful, they do this. Yeah. You know, and even if that's not, even if you haven't seen it personally, but a peer has told you like, hey, this is what has worked or you've right. read it, you heard Conklin talk about it. Like, I really think we really need to take those moments and kind of step out on a ledge and mm-hmm. just be be brave and say like, Hey, I think we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. 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 They're all unicorns though. Like, like I, I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is spread despair. I, I think that we're in a really bad state in safety, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of, I should put it this way. I think there's a lot of area for opportunity for improvement. Right. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it because it's like, we can do so much better. Come on, you know, but I don't want, people to despair, especially the young safety pros. It's like, learn about hop, learn about these good principles, and then find small wins. Think small. Don't think big because you're not going to change big. You're going to change small. And like, you know, find those unicorns because there are still like, uh, you know, dinosaurs that can still learn, that can overcome that those barriers, they, they, they're not afraid to burn off their dead right. wood and they are safety champions. And I've, I've seen a handful of them personally that have just blown my mind. And they, they typically will have a cone of influence, like they're, they're a general manager of like a mine or a, or a plant or something. Focus, um, team up with those people because you can help them become an architect or like the architect of a program for their little bubble of influence, their sphere of influence. And then what you can do is in the future down the road, you can, it, it will pay off. Um, and I've seen it happen. And then you can point at it and you can say, there's the proof right there. And then when, you know, as the tides start to shift in the future, um, you're going to have these case studies built and ready for you, like torpedoes in your tubes, you know, ready to fire off when you get the opportunities. So. No, I think that's that's a really interesting uh, interesting approach to that because <clears throat> one thing that I always like to share with people is, is similar to that um, is when you have those folks. I agree with you. I've seen some folks that have kind of uh, become full on hop evangelists that I would have never thought <laughs> would have, would have gone that path, right? And you kind of go, "Wow, you had it in you. That's cool. That's that's pretty neat." Mm-hmm. Um, but when you find those folks, they're really the bright spots, right? And you you really just continue to grow those bright spots. I, I've I've really believed that for a long time is that if you really want to 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 cause dramatic and sweeping change, you, you target assumptions, and then from those assumptions, you start working on bright spots, right? You find the bright spots in your organizations where those assumptions have started to shift, and then you continue to grow those. And, and to your point, they help kind of prove out success, right? I think really, yeah. it really needs to be a grassroots thing yeah. instead of, I think it's better to pick and choose from hot principles and mm-hmm. bring it from the bottom up as yeah. opposed to picking from a programmatic standpoint and then, you know, disseminating it down right. to your people. Cause that's when we screw it up. And I really oh, think yeah. that yeah. I, I was at a position in my career at one point when I would go to conferences and I would hear, uh, you know, hop lectures, hop seminars, and I'd sit there and just be like, man, in what world? Would you ever work in a place like that where all of that exists? You know, I'm fortunate to work in a place now where it is, we have embraced hop, but at the time it was, 
traditional safety and i was just like there's no way like yeah. all of these all of this sounds to me it was like it was like, this is all textbook crap you know yeah. like that's yeah. honestly how i looked at it because my world was so far from that yeah. and hindsight i think exactly what nate said is take mm-hmm. a couple of morsels and uh, you know find those unicorns take a couple of morsels of information just try you know start work authority just try one thing and then just Right. See how it goes. Yeah. And if it fizzles out, you know, fine, try something else. But I really think if the front line can embrace that, if it's one learning team and you're like, hey, why don't we, why don't we do those instead of, yeah. you know, our uh, investigations and start a grassroots movement with that and then get enough traction to where they're like, hey, let's start adding some more so of this one of the, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things you said was is how it sounded so pie in the sky at the, at the time, you know, and it's going to sound like that to some people that are still in that context. But um, I actually call that the gumdrop castle where, you know, it's all about principles, you know, and, and here's the thing. So you have your principles and you have your practicality. And I always like to I, I like to think of them as different lenses through which you can view a problem or, or your world or anything. And this applies beyond safety. This is just kind of like um, a red beard rule of life, I will call it. So you, so you have your lens of principle, you have your lens of practicality, and you always start with your lens of principle. And because that's the most, that's, I'll just say that's the right first step. And what that does is it allows you to maintain your morality, your ethics, like, okay, I want to do the right thing. So let's find out what my principles are, what I believe in, what's right, what's wrong. Let's stick with the good stuff. And then so you can eliminate all the bad stuff first. So you, you get your first lens, you look through that, you get rid of the bad stuff. And then you can't stop there or you're going to be living in a gumdrop castle, okay? You have to then move on and look at what's remaining with the lens of practicality. And um, that will allow you to see what's practical, what, what, what's pragmatic, what can you do amongst these things. And, and it's going to be different based on, you know, what your context is. And now there are some people who will only stop in principles. I call them the gumdrop castles. And then the, the, the other side of that are the people who skip the lens of principles and they only look through the lens of practicality hmm. and i call those the gargamels those are the people who they like the ends justifies the means right. they don't really care uh what happens as long as they can look good it's kind of those are the more like selfish people that really are like to hell with everyone else i think it's tough too in that kind of you touched on it a little bit is i think uh Safety pros, you really got to be patient with each other as well. I know Sam had mentioned sometimes like some of the people the most resistant to hop are other safety professionals, and that would surprise yeah. you. But I think yeah. we need to be patient with those of us that um, have seen the light, I guess if you want to say it that way, to not hop splain, like to, yeah. to, to really get after almost like hop in a splain. pompous hop way. Splain. To, to say, like, why would you think that way? Yeah. You know, why do you value OSHA recordables? Why are right. you valuing right. close calls? Why are you valuing, you know, why are you looking at these events? And then kind of in a in an arrogant way of, like, I remember yeah. I remember when I was, I had my first beer kind of thing. And it's yeah. just like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, we really need to be a little bit more um, understanding because, it, you know, chances are we were there. And if not, be fortunate that you, you know, ended up in the situation where you were, where you didn't have to have that traditional safety upbringing. But I really think that uh, it requires some responsibility on the safety pro side to really kind of extend an olive branch and be a little bit more uh, patient with our safety pros. Because I I know I've I've had some frustrating conversations because with safety pros because they just will not let go of some of these concepts. Yeah. 
Well, wisdom. I have a good friend, uh, Joe Murdoch. You should connect with him on LinkedIn. He's cool. not very active on LinkedIn, but um, we started AccustatsUSA.com together. And then Is It Recordable branched off of that. And so he's like, um, uh, you know, in, in my, in my full time role, we worked together there. That's how I met him. And, um, I call him the Oracle because he's extremely wise <laughs> and he always says, well, this is what's going to happen. And I'm just like, I, you don't know that for sure. And then of course it happens. It's like all just always and the guy, the guy is just really good with people. He has a lot of experience dealing with people and he's a really good guy. And so, um, anyway, one of the things that he told me was wisdom is knowing what to overlook. And I think that can, and so to your point, um, you know, Ian, you know, having patience, you know, overlooking the, the errors of our peers that haven't quite grasped it yet. And part of, I think my strategy in doing that is setting my expectations properly, you know, because if you go out and you're just expecting to change minds, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be disappointed and then you're going to get frustrated and then you're going to get flustered and angry probably and that kind of thing. So don't expect to change anybody's mind. Like you should promote good ideas because they're good ideas. And that should be, that's your job is you don't worry about them adopting it. That's their job. Your job is just to promote the good ideas. And then the other thing you can do on the flip side of that is you can, uh, what's the word? You can erode confidence in the bad ideas. You know, you can look at the incident rate. Typically, you know, the incident rate is like our nemesis in a way, it feels okay. like. And because it's just put up on a pedestal. And you know, we, we can start hacking away at that pedestal, mm-hmm. chipping away if we have to, and just say, you know, hey, have you ever heard of natural variation? You know, every rate has natural variation, meaning there's some bit of luck in that. And so whenever you look at that, you should really be saying, okay, that's where we are, plus or minus some margin of error, some percentage, right. you know? So take your chart that shows the incident rate as if it's the gospel. Oh, we were at 1.2 in 2016 or whatever it is. No, you really weren't, though. You, you right. just know you're at that point, plus or minus some margin. And I bet you that margin is pretty big. And if you, if, you know, um, get a statistician or get somebody to run the numbers for you and figure out what the margin of error is like with a, let's say 95% confidence in a role or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and have them actually show where their performance is. And you know, some of these businesses, if their incident rates are low enough, they're already statistically at zero, right. even though they're not at zero right. and they and they literally cannot measure any improvement. You, you can't measure mm-hmm. any significant improvement from where you are to zero. It's like how many atoms smaller is this? And all you have is a yardstick, <laughs> right. right? And so that will diminish their confidence in that is a yeah. good measure for them in the spirit of continuous improvement and all that. So. And, and I like your point on eroding confidence in some of that stuff. And I think, um, what do you guys feel is in the value of just calling stupid, stupid when it comes to stuff? And I'll, I'll use your instant rate example. Um, when we're, when, when organizations have a panic attack and a meltdown over something because it's recordable and we go forth and do root cause analysis on a bug bite, or, or something yeah. similar. When we just call that for what it is, it's Mosquito stupid. Thirsty. It's stupid, right? I mean, we can call that stupid. Um, yeah. What is there value in that? Depends on the context, I think. Depends you on know, the approach on the, too, mm-hmm. and who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The audience and everything else, because you know, I, I kind of recoil at the word stupid because it's used so often to, you, you know, to point at at a person, right? You know, right? Like, oh, that guy slipped. He, uh, what an idiot. Yeah. You know, 
And I mean, you see it on LinkedIn all the time. Yeah. People are just slamming people. Yeah. I think what's hard too is really picking your spots of like who your audience is mm-hmm. because if you say, well, it's stupid we're tracking recordables as a metric because it's not a true measure of safety success right. to the front line, they're going to be, it's going to be a little. You could potentially start a uprising. You know? <laughs> I think people people uh, people will really get jaded off of that. Well, the safety guy clearly doesn't think that right. OSHA recordable is important. So right. I don't know. Yeah. So when but, the plant manager gets up there, you know, whatever. It's it's not, I'm not going to put any stake into it. Yeah. But at at the same time, I really think that um, when the dust settles, you still got to handle it however you need to. I think when the dust settles, you look at it and you really should quantify the amount. I think you got to almost take a like an operational impact uh, review and just say like how much time did we spend on this how many emails were sent how many right. phone calls were spent and try to like even just ballpark that number of like hours spent and then extrapolate that to like salary and just like yeah. all of that time spent is it really worth yeah. the bug bite and that's not even including yeah. the time like you spent off mm-hmm. offline thinking about right. it being right. frustrated right. of like oh no we're one more closer to the target are we going to hit our metric? Yeah. You know, or, oh, yeah. when we forecast based on this rate, we're going to be yeah, we're not <laughs> going to hit our safety stress. metric. Our, metric our bonus is going to be this, and now uh, yeah, and it's um, but you realize where you're going with that, right? You're circling back to it being dumb, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know what though? You're there doing is, it in a much nicer way than what I would. I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, on the other side of that coin, like like there are some people who can do it so well mm-hmm. uh, that that there is there is a a right way to do it. That will oh, make you sure. like fist pump in the air, like yes, for sure. you know. And so my my favorite person to do that is Phil Aduke. Mm-hmm. You know Phil? He he was just on. I was uh, just listening. To, I just listened to that just the other day. It was an excellent, excellent episode. So here's yes. so here's yeah. the insert. Here's the insert where you're supposed to plug your guys' podcast to. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Safety <laughs> Justice League episode three. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason Maldonado and Phil Aduke, and he talked about how stupid zero is and how worthless some safety people are. Right, and that's harsh language. You know, I'd actually scribbled a note here. I was that's where I was going to go, kind of next. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's no, that's, that's kind of where I was wanting to go next. And I was actually scribbled Phil Leduc on my my pad right here, um, <laughs> because as we were kind of talking about that, uh, just the thought had come into my mind is the state of safety professionals. Um, kind of where do we go? I mean, because I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I kind of I, I relate heavily to some of the stuff that Phil was kind of getting into. There's too many, you know, brother-in-laws and cousins and crap that aren't safety folks that that we kind of yeah. throw in there, and we don't end. We end up with not safety professionals, but safety dudes and safety yes. safety gals. And, How do we define the safety professional? Right. right, that's an important thing. And what does a credential mean? Like, what credentials are worthwhile? Right. Like, what right. what good is a CSP if you have no social IQ at all right. if you can't even relate to somebody you know that's one of the things that you know um, I've had conversations <laughs> <laughs> well I've had conversations with Abby Ferry uh, Jason Lucas Jason Maldonado mm-hmm. um, when we're trying to figure out what do we what do we think is a noble cause what do we want to stand for what do we want to accomplish you know what how can we add value and how, how can we attempt to try to, or at least strategize on how we can fix some of these problems. And, um, you know, one of the problems is, is what is a safety professional, Mm -hmm. right? Versus a safety dude or whatever, whatever they are. Yeah. It's so hard because you can have, because safety, I've talked about this before with Sam offline, but just, it's one of the few things where we just put a big umbrella Mm -hmm. and there's no clarifier ever where you're just like, uh, you know, if you, 
because there's I there, I mean there's there's legal right. components there's IH right. there's ergonomics there's so many different facets of yeah. safety but we just put it all under safety and I think it does a huge disservice because it really devalues the amount of, the, of like technical acumen right. that's required yes, right. in some aspects right. of it but because you would you would never say to I was you know to a to a lawyer an engineer oh just hire someone you know just hire you know I. I I don't, need a, I don't need an attorney. I'm going to call my cousin. Yeah, exactly. But we do that with safety because it appears to be just managing well, people and talking to people, walking so, around, looking at stuff. And it's so wacky in 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 organizations because um, it's funny because you kind of went down that rabbit hole that I, I went down and some stuff I posted not too long ago. Um, that as a safety professional, you're expected to know all that crap at any given time, right? Yep. And somebody's like, what do you mean you don't know what a one alpha modulator valve is? What kind of safety person are you, you idiot? <laughs> right? Um, you're supposed to know everything all the time, but anyone can do it. Right, <laughs> right. So it's it's kind of kind of kind of ass backwards compared to, to what you would expect. Well, but safety's undervalued overall, sure. don't you think? Well, and I, because, I, I think I'd even yeah. I think I'd even I think you had posted something not too long ago, Nate, about this. And I think I'd even posted below. I'd, I'd left you a comment on this, and it was this exact same thing because I remember because I don't have a life, but um, <laughs> I'd, I'd shared that same thing that if we if you're hiring someone for uh, something in environmental, you get this really seasoned environmental professional. Yeah. You're hiring an engineer for an engineering position, you get this really seasoned engineer with all these credentials. You're hiring someone in legal, you you end up with somebody with the JD after their name and lots of experience. Uh, you hire somebody for for safety, it doesn't matter. Or just call your cousin. It's cool. It can be anybody off the street. Yeah, they just put like they, yeah. I mean the 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 requirements are very loose, and so you can and, you can you can get anyone. And yeah. what it's a disservice to even safety pros. We right. we've right. all been, we've all been there when we're hiring externally, and mm-hmm. we just kind of hold our breath to see what comes to the door instead of like, oh, good, we're going to hire a quality safety professional that probably right. you know we we really are holding our breath. Well, see? and let me let me frame that a little bit too because I. I am not opposed um, in the right setting into bringing in unseasoned folks if you're set up to be able to mentor them and train them, and you're set up to do that, right? But the majority of the time, we don't, right? We are not set up to do that. We bring them in for some high-level um, position usually, right? And it's just like, oh, let's just just start them off at a senior level. It's fine, you know. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> so if, if you've got like tech positions and you've got kind of like those lower level safety positions in your organization, That's... in which you can bring them in and you have a good group of folks where you can mentor them and grow them and get them the skills and knowledge that they need. That's a pretty cool thing for somebody that wants that opportunity. Yep. And that's that was that was my beginning. I started right. as a kind of junior Same. level position yeah. under a senior guy, and yeah. uh, it was it was a good situation because it was like, well, what are you good at? Yeah. Let's try to give you the parts of safety that the, kind of facilitate that. That's exactly that how set. I started. I started as a as a. I remember the job title exactly. The safety tech one. It was almost point five. It wasn't even almost a full one, right? <laughs> and you kind of do all that stuff. You get to learn, right? And I think that's an excellent way to kind of break into the field. But unfortunately, most organizations that I have seen, they go, "Holy crap, we need a safety person." I can, you know, I, when I finally got into safety and I started going after the certification and uh-huh. started going to see uh, the conferences, right. I was blown away. I, I didn't even know you could get safety as a. I didn't even know safety was a program, right. like in in, right. in universities. I remember going to. Yeah, I can't remember 
Who's the big one? Murray State, mm-hmm. Kent State, yeah. I think. is uh, it Kent Eastern State? Kentucky. So you, EKU has a pretty You show up, program. and there's like hordes of people. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I went to Murray State. I went to this. I went to that. And I'm right. like, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I like, there's so many like programs that offer safety as a profession. And it was freaking cool. But also at the same time, I'm like, man, I am way out of place. I, I backed into safety. I right. lucked into safety. Right. And these people studied it as an undergrad. You know, they like their level of knowledge they could like pass the CSP yeah. exam right, right well you know upon graduation and i had to i just felt this like intimidation factor right. of like oh my god what's going on well i on? think it's i think it's really um really interesting because i i, I was kind of going here in my head before we started down that talking about kind of universities um colleges and i'd be interested to hear what you've seen Nate um but i can just think to to safety jobs that i have seen posted in the organizations that i have worked in and it's like we just don't get quality candidates a lot of times either Right, I right. can think to several companies that I work for where it's like, well, the jobs posting been out has been out for six months, and we've got three applicants, and 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 you know none of them have any safety experience. Between those three, we have half mm-hmm. a year of experience, and yeah. so it's weird that I don't know because you you do see lots of programs starting to emerge, um, and it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of folks that we can attract. Well, it's well, hard. You, it, go ahead. Sorry, you have to def- that's all right. You have to define what a safety pro is if you're going to try to train yeah, one properly. True. And so we have, we're, we're, you know, you always start with the end in mind. So it's like, well, okay, what is a safety pro? We have to answer that question. And that's why I think that's missing, right? That's if we could come up with a really clear definition, like what are the most important three to five, you know, characteristics mm-hmm. of a safety professional, if we could at least identify those things. I think that would help these programs right. uh, be more effective. You know, and then really... also, Go ahead. Well, real quick, well, one of the things I think would also help is if there was a little bit of a perspective change on the um, uh, in the business side, if they didn't undervalue safety mm-hmm. so much. Because, like for example, I once interviewed for a job in a manufacturing uh, facility, and they wanted basically somebody who was a graphic designer because they wanted someone to design the graphics on the buttons hmm. of their machines because they're sold right. worldwide. So you can't just say, you know, a word because that might right. mean something different in different <laughs> yeah. places. So it's like you have to design, you know, like a little person doing something. Yeah. Um, and then they wanted somebody to, like uh, yeah. to to write the instruction manual and update the instruction manual. So now you need technical writing skills right. for this job. Right. And how many, you know, safety engineers have technical writing under their belt. Right. right. And then they wanted uh, basically to help the engineers um, design in, in an AutoCAD environment to have some some AutoCAD background. And then they wanted uh, this this role to represent the company if they're ever sued. Right. Then they wanted. So then now you have to be a lawyer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then and then there was something else. Oh, customer service in the field. So now you're a customer service rep. And I'm thinking. Right. It sounds like to me that there's mm-hmm. this bucket of like the kind of like the burnt ends of the it's <laughs> it's like they just kind of like, well, we need someone to do this, yeah. this, this and yeah. this. And, and we don't really think anyone in particular is a full time job and they threw safety in there. Right. And so it's like, just do everything. It's, yep. it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a problem. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of it, it does come from that. I think it is some of the organizational view on that. Is it again? It, to me, it kind of still rolls back to that—that that everything you can technically categorize as safety, so that it ends up being categorized as safety usually, right? Yeah. And so it's again, it's still back to that point of um, 
it's a little bit of everything, and uh, if you've got to be an expert in everything from asbestos to portage on placement, right? That's, that, they, that's going to kind of be your job, or they think it should be, at least, what's, right? Yeah, what's difficult, yeah. too, is on the recruiting side to get mm-hmm. your companies to understand, hey, there right. are actual, there are actual yeah. like hubs where only safety professionals look at for jobs. For sure. You yeah, should be posting huge. jobs there. Right. And they're like, no, that's outside of the typical places we post. We're going to keep posting there. And it's yeah. just like, great. Well, we're going to continue to get this, you know, the candidates that we're getting. And sometimes you really do get lucky, but a lot yep. of times you're kind of banging your head against the wall. And you're just like, my goodness, we can't. Right. You know, well, man, oh, man, what did you think about that one? I'm pretty sure uh, that you liked it because I loved it. It was awesome getting to hang out with two of my, uh, I think I call them my besties. I mean, <laughs> they're honestly, it's a blast to hang out with Nate. Anytime I get a chance to talk to Nate, it's awesome. Anytime I get a chance to talk to Ian, hang out with Ian, it's awesome. You get those two together, and it's it's super duper awesome. So that was an, a really fun time for me, and I'm sure that you will enjoy it or have enjoyed it. So that was part one. Part two is coming up next week, so keep an ear out for that thing. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all that social media stuff. Keep an eye out for the live shows. Those come out on YouTube, uh, Facebook, all that kind of fun stuff. I'll usually post a link on LinkedIn for that, but that's every Wednesday at 5, every Friday at 8. We've got some really cool stuff happening there. Just starting to pick up some steam there, so we look forward to having you on the live show as you're aware the structure of the podcast has been changing a little bit where we're doing three episodes a week so keep uh keep tuning in for that so uh until next time it is sam goodman the hop nerd signing out remember episode two next week bye everybody bye OSHA 10 or 30 hour training for yourself or your organization, head over to hominum, H-O-M-I-N-U-M H-P-I.com That's hominum H-P-I.com They offer OSHA 10 and 30 hour outreach training on a regular basis in the greater Phoenix area. They also offer all kinds of other general safety and compliance services along with their specialty human and organizational performance and human performance improvement. Again, head over to hominum, H-O-M-I-N-U-M, H-P-I.com, or send an email to phxosha at gmail.com.